0: Let's begin. I thank everybody for uh, for joining us this evening. So while I did say that this uh, was officially supposed to be the last of these shirim, I kind of uh, feel a halishing to continue, uh, albeit with something a little bit different. The plan is hopefully, and uh, I guess keep your eyes peeled, hopefully if uh, the shola manages to get it out, um, we're going to be uh, learning in depth. The story, uh, the accounting, the account of uh, of Rabbi Nachman's journey to Eretz Yisrael, which uh, I believe contains so much of uh, how a Jew in exile looks at the land of Israel. How um, how anybody uh, anybody that wants to learn about Rabbi Nachman, I feel that much of Rabbi Nachman's own Torah is contained there. So stay tuned. We might uh, we might just continue on this particular topic of Eretz Yisrael. uh, so so ostensibly yes, ostensibly yes, yeah. Uh, and I also want to thank our sponsor this evening, Daniela Weiss, who's sponsoring our share in honor of the 90th birthday of her mother, Julia Weiss. Uh, I wish ha- she could be her. Happy, so happy birthday to her and okay. thank you. Uh, mother of Eva Daniela Weiss and Avi Hello. Yohananov and grandmother of Gabriella and Yakir. Gabriella, who comes to Davin in our show all the time, is, uh, is uh, Baalat Avodat Hashem. You're obviously doing something right. So thank you so much. Um, continue with our topics of what we are... Uh, I have an extra one over here. Uh, if anybody needs... yeah, Here you go. That's a, that's a good one. Okay, so continuing on our topic of... Uh, Uh, Continuing on topics of focusing on the Kedusha, the holiness of the land of Israel, I wanted to focus, uh, we've been spending a lot of our time in the dirt. We've been spending a lot of our time talking about the fruits of the land of Israel, the milk and honey of the land of Israel, the stones and the dust of the land of Israel. Today I want to talk about the air of the land of Israel. And uh, the supernal qualities, the unique spiritual qualities of the air of the land of Israel. Some amazing statements of the of, of, of our rabbis, of our sages, Zechron about the uh, the special qualities of the air of the land of Israel, the atmosphere of the land of Israel. So let's get right into it. Uh, but before we get into it, uh, and before we continue to talk a little bit more about the air, I want to say that our shir is also Lefu uh, Shleima for Sarial Bas Liora who was the pregnant mother that was wounded in the attack. Uh, and Ofra along with her husband, the baby was delivered successfully and a healthy baby and apparently she is doing Okay, in critical condition, uh, I was reminded I saw two tweets by a rabbi they look up to very much, Rev. Uh, Ari Waxman of Yeshivat Shalavim, and uh, earlier in that day he had tweeted they had taken out the boys from Shalavim to a trip uh, near the, I guess, Nahalai alone, one of, the, one of the rivers there. I guess Eretz Yisrael is receiving a ton of rain right now, which is very beautiful. And you see uh, he took a video. Uh, panoramic view around and you see families playing there with young children and you see uh, flowing streams of Eretz Yisrael, which is obviously a tremendous bracha, Gishme bracha and, uh, and I, I responded you know, I said that, you know, that's a taste taste of ganit and you know, Jewish families playing around and uh, you know, this beautiful flowing land and then uh, a few hours later Rabbi Waxman tweeted on his way to Kever Yosef in Shechem, uh, he tweeted that they passed the scene of the pigua. Uh, so this, in many respects, this is the, these are the two poles of our experience now in the land of Israel. On one hand, Gan Eden, and on the other hand, Gehenim on the other hand, uh, Hell. And uh, so we hope that uh, it's all Gan Eden. That we hope that we finally get to see the true uh, Bracha uh, of the land of Israel without uh, without these terrible, terrible uh, side effects of the of the pangs of Geula. Um, so to have that in mind, uh, the Gemara baba Basra discusses a case if a house falls on a mother and a son, apropos. And uh, the question is, we don't know who passes away first, the question is who inherits? Is it the mother's paternal family or is it the son's heirs, the heirs of the son? And uh, both Hillel and Beit Shammai agree that uh, the money is split, the property, the estate is split. Uh, and uh, Rabbi Akiva, for his part, Rabbi Akiva says that the property stays in the mother's possession. And the, uh, that's in the Mishnah. And the Gemara has a further discussion of it. And the Gemara tells us what was going on in Bavel uh, uh, vis-à-vis this discussion. So take a look at source number one. comes from Baba uh, Kufnun Chesam Beis. So the Gemara asks, in whose property, in whose, in whose uh, possession does the estate remain? Ravila Amar Ravila says, It stays in the possession of the mother's paternal family, the mother's inheritance. This is a property that she took in uh, that was her own property before the marriage uh, began. So the property reverts back to the mother's inheritors. Rav Zeira says, Rav Zeira responds, ben, that the property stays rather in the uh, possession of her son's inheritors. Okay, so that's the Machloket, uh, rehashing and reifying the, uh, the different opinions established in the Mishnah. The Gemara continues and says uh, an interesting thing, Ki salik Rav Zeira, Ki salik Rav meaning Rav Zeira went, to uh, usually it says Kisalik meaning when Rabb went to the land of Israel Kam so bishitase changed his mind and he started to follow the position of Rabiillah, whereas in the beginning, Rav Zaira thought that the property, and the details of this, we're not learning Baba Basra now, but the details are, are, are less uh, important for our purposes, but Rabbi Allah, who Illa, who originally held that it goes to the property of the mother that stays in her family, so Rav changed his opinion and uh, held, yeah, Rabbi Allah is right, and come rabba Bishita say to Rav And and who who is the Marad Asra of Mechoz and Bavel, so Rava and Bavel. Adopted the original opinion of Rav Izeira. Amar Rav Izeira, Rav said, "Shmamina, we can learn from this. Avira de Eretz Yisrael Machim that the air of, of, the, of the land of Israel enlightens. The air of the land of Israel, a Talmud Chacham, that breathes in the atmosphere of the land of Israel, that enlightens them. They're able to go ahead and see Torah in a new light. Meaning when, what he's saying, based on Rosh Bam, is that when I ascended to the land of Israel, I changed my mind to the opinion of Rabbi La, While Rabbah stayed the same. Rabbah, held on to my old opinion. I changed mine and Rabba held on to my opinion, meaning the very fact that Rabbi Zaira had made his way to the land of Israel changed his opinion. Rabbi Zera is not any sort of uh, random figure when it comes to the land of Israel. It's not a random figure at all. Rabbi Zehra, uh, there's an uh, amazing Gemara and Ksuba stuff, Kuf Amit Beis. You don't have it on your sheets. But the Gemara talks about Rabbi Zehra uh, wanted to make aliyah. Rabbi Zehra was actually, the Gemara describes, avoiding his rabbi. He was avoiding Rabbi Yehuda because he didn't want to tell him that he was making aliyah because he knew that Rabbi Yehuda would try and convince him to remain in, in Bavel, to remain there. And that is actually the famous Gemara of the Shalosh the three oaths. Uh, that many people hold uh, prohibit the Jewish people from ascending to the land of Israel. We can't go up like a wall. We can't ins- ascend en masse We can't go ahead and uh, defy the nations of the world. And a third of those shvuot, the third of those oaths, is that uh, that the umma in the nations the world, shali shtab du esam Yisrael, that they can't uh, they that they can't go ahead and um, and cause us to suffer too much. So so. Owing to those three Shavuot, the Gemara records a discussion between Rav Zeir and his Rebbe. Rav Zeir is begging his Rebbe to, to give him leave to go to the land of Israel. Rav Zeir was somebody that was known. He was an Amor of the third generation in Bavel. He was known uh, very much so for his love, his tremendous chiba, his tremendous desire and love for the land of Israel. So that's the person that we're talking about. Rav Zeir is the one who said that Shema minah vira de'aretz Yisrael machkim. We can learn from this that the heir of the land of Israel enlightens, that it causes one's mind to expand. It has almost like a, uh, I would say, almost like a narcotic effect, that the psychotropic effect, the mind changes when one goes to the land of Israel. Something happens. We talked before about the land of Israel in a physical sense, expanding to accept the Jewish people and giving of its fruit and giving of its bounty to the Jewish people when we follow Hashem's rules and when we follow the Torah, B'Kedusha and Tara on it. The same thing happens in our minds in the psychological sphere as well. Now, Truth be told, there are many uh, who go ahead and say that this is uh, this is a more natural statement. This is a more ra- they rationalize the Radak, for example, on Tehillim in two places says it's because the air is very good. It's a mountainous region, and it's able to go ahead and give oneself the clarity of mind. And to be sure, uh, both uh, opinions are probably true. Both approaches, both the rational approach that says that yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Like I talked about learning in the mountains of Tzfat and on the hills, right? There's actually something quite beautiful. Rather than learning in a base madrash in some ghetto in Europe or, or, or even uh, even in America, in small batte midrash, uh, right? If you take a tour of uh, Krakow, for example, to show you the base madrash or the shoal of the rama, a great, uh, great halachist and Tammuz, and they go there and they show, for example, that the windows are very high up. Because they were kind of fortresses, right? It wasn't, uh, wasn't an ideal place for any respect to be learning Torah. Something happens when you learn Torah in a beautiful locale, in a beautiful environment. But I want to go ahead and focus a little bit more on uh, maybe the spiritual uh, way of interpreting this idea of Avirat Eretz Yisrael And that's going to be the first half of our share today. Let's take a look at the next source, Also talking about Rav Zeira. Rav Zeira, uh, is, has two names, it seems. In the Yerushalmi, whenever he's referred to Yerushalmi, and also apparently in, uh, in Midrashia Gada as well, he's not called Rav Zayra, he's called the Rav Zeira, uh, which means the small one, Zayra is small, right? Like Aleph Zaira the small Aleph that appears in the word Vayikra in the Torah. Now, this also has a sort of physical interpretation. Rav Zeira was small in stature, but maybe in a spiritual sense, what? that there is a modesty and we're going to come back to that. Thank you. Right, There's a modesty that happens for somebody that goes from Babel and now finds himself in a different spiritual plane that rises to a, to a new level. And uh, just to foreshadow a little bit, we find this Rabbi Nachman demonstrates this in his own journey to the land of Israel that he undergoes a number of bizonos, a number of, uh, uh, s- brings upon himself a, no- uh, a number of ways in which he's made to feel so small and so embarrassed and, and so tiny uh, because of uh, the notion of going going up to the land of Israel requires this sort of preparation and requires one to be Ola Darga to go up to a new level so maybe this Rav Zeira Rav Zeyra, uh, duality also alludes to Rav Zeyra. he was big Rav Zeyra in uh, Bavel he was tremendous Tama who had uh, Rebeim that wanted him to stay there Great Rabbi don't wanted him to stay there on the other hand he's Rav Zeira that uh, he realized everything in Bavel is almost for him nothing compared to what he's going to learn in Eretz Yisrael how do I know that that's true you'll see in source number three let's just finish it, but Rav Zera said, "Afilu si chasen shall bnei Yis- Yisrael Torah." Rav Zera said, uh, a "Remarkable statement. Even even street conversations, right? Even even the market conversations of those Jews that dwell in the land of Israel themselves are are Torah." And this is a. It echoes other rabbinic statements about other great people to who their sichas chulin, their their daily regular conversation, is something that contains within itself Torah. For example, we say Yafa and avos mi that the uh, that the conversations of of the servants of our of our patriarchs and matriarchs that contains Torah. We find this in other places. The sichas chulin, even the mundane conversations of Tamid chachamim, require us to study it well. Right, the gemara has a famous uh, statement, Torah even uh, the smallest utterance of a great rabbi even in the most mundane of matters is something that requires us to study it well, to be meshamesh them to go ahead and to serve them and to learn their ways even when they're not speaking Torah per se in its uh, narrow sense Zerzerah so says this applies even the mundane conversations of the Jews the land of Israel are Torah and uh, the statement I was, I was, I was referencing uh, comes over here in Bava source number three, Bava Metziah daf Pehe, amit alef, Zera. So, how did Ravzera prepare himself to go to Eretz Yisrael with such, right? He fought off, uh, he argued off his Rebbe, he argued off Rebbe Huda, and, he, uh, and he, he, he managed to justify his going there against all sorts of reasons not to go there. That Bavel was the place of uh, the center of Torah at the time, that this was the center, Kimi Bavel Taitse Torah, uh, so how could he go to Eretz Yisrael? So, Ravzera, Kisalik La'arad Yisrael, when Ravzera went, to the land of Israel, Yosef Mea Anisa. He sat and he underwent a hundred fasts. kemara bavla aminei. He fasted a hundred times in order to forget the Torah, and it was surely a considerable amount of Torah that he had studied in Bavel, Nitraday, so that when he got to the land of Israel, his Bavel, his, his gullus way of thinking, his exilic way of thought, would be forgotten. He, so he mortified himself. He fasted a hundred times in order to prepare himself. I saw a beautiful interpretation of what this might mean. And, and again, owing to our to our framing of that, going to the land of Israel, even if it wasn't necessarily the center of Torah in the world at that time, it was still a, a place that was of a higher level that even the mundane conversations there are considered Torah. Uh, I saw in the Torah Shmuel, which is uh, the Sichos, the, com- uh, the uh the discourses of the fourth Admor, the fourth rabbi of Chabad, uh, Maharash uh, Rav Shmuel of Chabad. So he talks about eating matzah, that in preparation for Geula, so in preparation for us to eat at the Seder in a proper way, so we eat matzah, we eat lechem oni, we eat the bread of affliction, as if it's like a palate cleanser. We have to cleanse our palate in order to eat anew. And this goes into the discourses of the Admor in the first rabbi of Chabad, who talked about the Leila Seder as the Tikkun Achila. that the whole concept one of the main concepts of the night of the Seder is to rectify our eating, to allow us to eat in a holy manner. So he basically says that a person has to go ahead and undergo what's called in, uh, in Zoharic language, in Kabbalistic language, a person has to undergo is in order to under, to, get, to approach a level of hapcha, A person has to undergo a level of, of suppression and pushing something down in order to arrive at a level where they're able to turn things around. So he basically applies this to this uh, same idea. He says this beautiful language. He says, A person cannot become something, no, I'm sorry, I'm out of sheets. A person cannot become anything new unless they go ahead and Yafsid Mahu They go ahead and they push away the first person comes to tshuva for example. So you have to take your original self and you have to suppress that, or you have to turn that into something new. First, it has to be subdued, and then after it's subdued, you could go ahead and you could flip it into something new. So that's maybe what Revzairah is doing over here. His, his fasts are tantamount to our eating matzah. Allah Allah is fasting in order to cleanse his mind, in order to cleanse his spiritual palate, in order to receive uh, that which she was going to be able to get from the Torah of Eretz Yisrael. Is Hi. He, is he eating the matzah the day before? Or is still- no, no, we're talking about eating matzah at the Seder at the itself, seder. So right? So I'm, I'm, I'm likening that to Rav Zeira going ahead and, and cleansing his mind, cleansing his, his spiritual palate He able to, uh, to enter into Eretz Yisrael and now to undergo a level of his of to turn himself around completely. Yeah. So he, he lived, uh, the, the uh, Admor Maharaj lived from 1834 to 1882. 18, I, I don't have that on top of my head, it's in the footnotes. 1834 to 18, 1882. Okay, so that's so that's Zera for us. So this idea of Avira de Eretz Yisrael Machim, that the air of the land of Israel enlightens, that what was Rav Zeira hoping to get there? What was, the, what was the spiritual bounty that breathing in the air of uh, the land of Israel is meant to give to one's Torah, that it's like we quoted from Rav Kook, that the Torah in the land of Israel is misbareches. Rav Kook says in In, Oros HaTorah, in his uh, we learned this uh, last year, Rav Kook says in Oros HaTorah, he says that the Torah of Chachmei Bavel, the Torah of Chutz L'Aretz, is a b'china of mishtameres that the job of Chachmei Bavel is to protect and to, uh, to safeguard the Torah when it's in Bavel. However, of Cook says, the sheet of Yerushalmi, the sheet of uh, learning Torah in the land of Israel is Torah semisbareches, that the Torah goes ahead and it, it forms... It expands, it's Torah that doesn't necessarily need to be protected or safeguarded because it's in the land of Israel, it's already safeguarded. So it allows the Torah and the creativity of Torah to be misbarech to go ahead and to develop and to expand and to flourish and blossom. So take a look at this beautiful idea uh, that I think explains a little bit of what the Avira of Eretz Yisrael does, and it also connects to one of our earlier shiurim, and we talked about the bowing that happened in the, uh, in, in, in the base in the, in the HaMikdash, during the festivals, that the Gemara and Yuma told us that when there would be omade, when the pilgrims would be standing, so it would be tzofof. It would be a little bit tight, right? It would be anybody that's been to uh, the old city on any uh, sukkah or any Pesach knows exactly what I'm talking about. It could get a little bit tight there, a little bit stuffy, a little bit of a crush of the crowd. However, the Gemara tells us miraculously and paradoxically when they would be mishtachaveh, when they would bow down, it would be birvachah, so they would have space. So they uh, put out a book where they uh, gathered together all the uh, perushim, or all the homiletical statements on, on the Gemara, that come from the Yad Morim, that come from the rabbis from Beis Ruzhin. Beis Ruzhin was a very important and very famous house of, sc- of uh, scholars and Hasidic leaders that started with Rabbi Yisrael of Ruzhin. And uh, this comes from his second son, which has Harav uh, Atzadik Admor Azaki Misadi Gura, who's known as the Abir Yaakov Rav Avram Yaakov Misadi Gura, who took up the mantle after his father. His, his older brother uh, died, during the first year of mourning for their father. So he took up, and he's called Admar Azaki Misadi Source number four. So, He asked, He says, Just a simple question. How could it be that the thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of pilgrims that went and came from all over the world and all over the Tfutsan, all over Eretz Yisrael to be Mizvay, to find themselves in the presence of the Mikdash. So how could it be that they would find room? Just practically, how did that work? V'tireitz, then he answered, Chachmenu amru. Our Rabbis told us, Avira de Eretz Yisrael machkim. The heir of the land of Israel enlightens. chacham And yet we have another statement. We say, what is the Chachma here? What's the wisdom here? She so says, look no further than Pirkeavos. And in Pirkeavos it says, Who's wise? Hamakiras Mikomo. Somebody that knows their place. Now I want to pause here for a second, because when I read this I jumped and I said, Wow, Hamakiras Mikomo. What's the greatest wisdom? Is to know bolam. Where am I in the world? What's my place in the world? Somebody that recognizes that the place of every Jew, whereas we do find ourselves on Amsterdam Avenue in New York in a beautiful and the most uh, prosperous and uh, really the the, the best exile that we've experienced as, as a people, right? Nevertheless, our place, the place of a Jew, is in the land of Israel. Now, if I made Aliyah, Aliyah l'regel, if I made Aliyah and I found myself in the base of Mikdash, how could I find any fault with that? How could I say tsarli ha if I recognize I'm where I'm supposed to be? There's no greater feeling of equanimity, and there's no greater feeling of satisfaction for a person in the world than to recognize I'm in the right place. Right? It's, what, it's the feeling we get when we come home after a long day, it's the feeling we get from that, that embrace of family members, the feeling we get when we come to shul, when we come to learn. This is mikomi all those other places where i find myself during the day all those other places those tiltulum traffic the office all those different places that's not my place so similarly on a national scale the place of the jewish people is the land of the jewish people is eretz the place of B'nai israel so we say avir det Machim. what's the how does it make us wise how does it enlighten us it's connected to the statement of the rabbis, hu chacham, who is wise, one who is makires mekomo, one who knows his place. But that's not enough for the Abiyar Yaakov, that's not enough for the Admiral Zakin of Sadi Gora. He says, he says, makoma Nobody there felt that their friends were pushing or encroaching on their space because they said, I'm exactly where I need to be. But not just that, Hosefim Adam Hu Bal If a person is arrogant, if a person is full of themselves. So then that person gathers up a lot of space. For a person who's truly arrogant, for a person who's not in the right space, for a person's not in the right place, they take up a lot more than their own personal space. Right? It could be the widest open expanse. It's not enough for them. It could be the biggest place. I, I'm reminded uh, I, uh, one uh, great experience in my life was listening to the shirim of Rav Yehuda Vadia Zechronu Levracha, who was, uh, who was a, uh, he was an avreich, but almost a ram in yeshivat Akotli, passed away uh, really sadly at a young age. I, I think like three years ago now. Mm-hmm. So Rav Yehuda Vadia gave shirim on the Maharal, who we've mentioned in our earlier shirim. The Maharal has Nisivas Olam, where he talks about different character traits and Nesiva Anava. So in the in the path. Talking and discussing arrogance and discussing humility. So the Maral spends a lot of time, makes a big ASEC of the fact that there's a shame nirdaf, that there's a synonym in rabbinic parlance for, for gaiva, for arrogance. And the word that we have is gasus haruach. Gasus means a kind of thickness or kind of unctuous, right? Like, like a, a very, uh, like almost like a fat spirit, right? So he says, the Maral says, what does that mean, gasus haruach? Why is that a shame nirdaf? Why, why is that synonymous with arrogance? So Rav Yehuda said to us in the Shirim, Rav said, look around you. Find arrogant people. You see, all they do is suck out the air. Have you ever heard that? Suck out the air of a room. Right? Everything. Me, me, me. And, and they, they're so big. And you find, you find people that are on that are him, and you find like a shal hamelch in and the are They're hidden in the corner. Right? They're barely even there. They barely even make a Roshim. You have to like drag them out, say something, do something. We know how great you are. But that's gasus Aruch. That's why Gassus. It's like a uh, like ah, oh, very, very good, right? So chametz, is a leavening of the a leavening of the individual, an individual's leavened. Oh, it's, I see we're almost uh, we have Purim next. We're not, I know we finished Hanukkah, We're not we're not quite there, but that's exactly that's exactly the idea, right? Of course, many many great Jewish thinkers liken chametz to gaiva, right? But to puff yourself up, but not just in a in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. So when somebody is in their place, when all the Jewish people are in their place, which is makom amikdash, so nobody could say tsarli amakkum because we recognize. We're part of something so much bigger than us. How could you not be humbled by that awesome sight of being, of being uh, ensconced, right? to, to, to say, I'm, I'm within my people. Right? Any possibility of arrogance is suppressed. I, once upon a time, I thought that maybe, uh, take this and leave, or, uh, and leave it, um, as they say, but I thought that maybe this might be one of the kavanos, one of the intentions that God had when he wanted the Jewish people to make Aliel a that what does it mean? It, it, you've, we've all been in situations, right? So I was once in a concert in Central Park, there were 100,000 people there, and the feeling I had was not enjoyment, but like overwhelmed, it's just too much, and I'm so infinitesimal, I'm so small, right? Imagine the feeling of going, making Gali Alaregel, right? And, and seeing not the 100,000 people that are there in Yom Yerushalayim or at Abir Qasquanim, but hundreds of thousands of people, right? Imagine the feeling there, you could feel so small, you could feel like such a nothing. You could feel like I'm just a drop in this ocean. I'll barely be remembered. I'm a nothing. Maybe that's the Kavana of Alil is for us to go ahead and be effaced within the clown, for every individual to go ahead and to take with them the experience of, of total self-effacement, total self-abnegation within Alfe Revavos, then maybe that's part of the idea. Maybe that's what uh, the Admiral Zakin of Sadi is getting at over here. When a person is, is humble and of a low spirit, it's like you take up no space, you're nothing. You feel like you're nothing. And then you don't take up any space at all. So maybe, in a sense, we could say that rather than being an expansion of space, which is how the people are able to bow down with room, it was an expansion of self by everybody recognizing I'm in my right place. What I have over here, if I'm being hus- like bustled on the side, I'm getting elbows or whatever, right? How could I have k'peida on another Jew who's bowing down in the base HaMikdash? How could, I have, how could I be bothered by that? I'm subsumed within the feeling oceanic of just being a part of Kalal Yisrael. So that's what he's saying over here. And that's, that's the greatest Chachma of all, if you ask me. Right? That's the Chachma that really the Torah wants us to get to. That's like what we say, klagoda god is that we should, uh, we could recognize just as we're an individual, person next to us, is an individual as well, and the person in front of us, individual, to think of others and to not, that's not about me. That's not me. So that's, that's, that's one interpretation, one spiritual interpretation of Avir der And this is why Ravzeirah, maybe, who really had it all, had a great future ahead of him in Bavil. So much so that they were mafzir. They begged him to stay and they, and they, uh, they issued all sorts of isurim against his leaving there. But Rabbi Zaira realized this. Rabbi Zaira said, I'll fast, I'll make myself literally nothing in order to go ahead and have a tabula rasa, a clean slate in order to receive, in order to achieve the level of uh, of Yerda Eretz Yisrael that can allow me, my mind to accept the new Torah. What an amazing thing. Uh, there's one more, uh, one more interpretation, fascinating interpretation I found to this. is Why is the heir of the land of Israel Niskadish? So I'll, I'll preface this by saying that we do find uh, a number of kinyanim, a number of acquisitions that were made on the land of Israel. For example, the Gemara Bavakama, uh, Bava Basra and Daf Kufa met Aleph tells us the sheet of Rabbi Lazar that says that when God tells Avram, Kumi Saleich Baaretz, get up. And walk around the land of Israel. <laughs> it's, its width and breadth. Ki nana, because I've given it to you. Sort of a Lazarus verse that there is such a thing as a kinyan alicha, that a person can make an acquisition of karka, can make an acquisition of land by circumambulating it, by walking around that land. So we also find other kinyanim. We find kinyan kibush. We find that there was a kibush by Yehoshua when Yehoshua led the Jews in the conquering of the land of Israel. So that was another type of kinyan. So the gone, or Yosef Rosen who was a uh, super genius as uh, Shachter likes to say about certain people and uh, Rav Yosef who's who a rabbi in Dvinsk there were two rabbis in Dvinsk there was Or Sameach who was contemporary Or Sameach was the, was, the, was, the, was the Rav of Dvinsk and at the same time lived in the city of Dvinsk a figure that was probably at the intellectual stature of like a Rishon right somebody that was just of a uh, supreme intellectual stature that was the Rav I don't know uh this apocryphal or not, but I once read in the art scroll biography of the Rugged Shavar that when he would have conversations with Balor Sameach, who is a monumental Talmud Chachem in his own right, and they both wrote Chiburim on the Rambam, on Maimonides' Mishnah Torah, that their conversations would start out normal Torah conversations, and eventually they would just devolve into them throwing sources at each other, and expecting the other one to understand everything that we're saying. Sure enough, the Ragged Shavar's writings are, are chasm, and they're totally sealed to the casual Reader, because it's really just a collection of sources, and he expects you to know what it is. We have great thanks and great. Uh, we have great akarsatov to venachem and kasher who not only being the person that safeguarded the writings of the Raghat Shevar when they came to America, but also went ahead, aside from the Torah Shlema, which occupies a full shelf on the other side of the base Medrash over here, monumental work in its own right. Kasher was a Rav in New York City, was responsible for uh, for helping uh, write the Halachic justifications for the second Manhattan Eirov uh, that talks about the Upper West Side. We've been talking about that a little bit at our Shailas and Tshuva Shirom. So Kasher did the work of going ahead and taking uh, the Raguetshaver's works, notably Tsafnas Paneach, is what they were called, and uh, the one ala Torah, and he expanded all of those sources and showed us. Actually, if you were to string all these sources together, you actually have like a full, unbelievable Dvar Torah that comes out of it. But you know, not all of us have shas of our fingertips like the Raguetshaver did. So the Raguetshaver writes like this. He's talking about a discussion of whether or not the the uh, the mizbeach and the mezbeach hachitzah uh, and the mezbeach outside in the azara, whether or not the mezbeach had a din of Karka, whether or not it had a din, it had a halachic status of the floor, or whether it was a structure. Okay, so that's the discussion he writes. If you look at the top line, Va'ayin Sota Davtes. Take a look at Sota. I looked at the Gemara and Sota on both pages. So the Gemara and Sota Davtes of Adal tells us, anything that Moshe Rabbeinu did was not destroyed, it lasted forever. So, meaning, even when the temple was destroyed and sacked for the first time, so we say, Tivu Ba'aret Shaareha that the gates sunk into and other aspects of the temple sunk into the ground and were not allowed to be taken off by the plunderers and destroyers of the land of Israel. So he says, The the heir of the land of Israel was niskadesh. It was sanctified by Moshe's sight. When Moshe looked at the land of right? Israel, isn't this wild? Right? When Moshe Rabbeinu begged God, at the end of his life, Moshe begs has please, please let me cross into the land of Israel, and at least, I should at least see the, the, the land on the other side, something that we get, we get to hop on a plane and see, Moshe Benu and Aaron didn't get to see, uh, didn't get to be inside, but God does, does tell Moshe, you can get up, and he allows Moshe to see all of the land of Israel, so uh, so he says, I, they, yes, Moshe, Moshe saw the land of Israel at that time. He sanctified its heir. Much like Avram Avinu, according to the Shittah of Rav Lazar, right, which is uh, Sheitas Yachet. The rest of the people say, no, Avram's circumambulation around the land of Israel was just a preparation for later on. He made it easier. That was Noach Lichbosh. That was easier to be conquered by Yehoshua. That when Moshe Rabbeinu went ahead and saw it, so... He was Miskadish. That's why even nowadays, Ragachava writing at the beginning, at the fin de siècle of the 19th century, so, so he was going ahead and he was saying that the heir of the land of Israel still has Kedusha. It still retains this quality of being Makkim, it still retains this enlightening quality. Why? Because Moshe Ben was Miskadish, by seeing it, by merely gazing out at the land of Israel, the gaze of Moshe was able to affect that Kedusha and that allows the Kedusha of the heir of the land of Israel to remain until the day that even in their times anybody that would come to the land of Israel and merely uh, breathe in the air there so their Torah would be misbareches not just mishtameres that their Torah would expand and, and obtain this Eretz Yisraeli quality in the land of Israel so I'll read this uh, I've interrupted my reading he says when Moshe saw the land and gazed upon it so he sanctified the air. heir as I was never nothing that Moshe did cancelled out it was always stayed even, bismana, as even nowadays and this is referring to the second Luchos, and also to Pilpal Torah we say the Pilpal Torah a uh, deep casu- uh, casuistic understanding of Torah what we might call the joy of Torah and the joy of, of plumbing the depths of Torah really for for what what could be termed no practical purpose neither halachic or for any sort of uh, conclusive uh, Mode of learning, rather just to enjoy and to, and to tread the waters of Torah and to, to, to splash around in the waters of Torah. So that's what Moshe Benu gave, and that's the quality of the air of the land of Israel. Very fascinating take on this concept of avir. There so many other takes, as we saw, but let's move on to the uh, second half of our Shi'ur. Second half of our is I want to talk about the concept of Torah Eretz Yisrael and uh, the Torah's land and the land of Torah. And you'll hear many people talk about uh, this concept of Torah Eretz Yisrael, so I want to uh, get into what exactly that might be. I I thought the Torah is for the whole world, right? Torah is for the whole world. So what does that mean that we make a distinction between the Torah of Chutzla Eretz, the Torah, an exilic Torah, And the Torah in Eretz Israel, land of Israel, Torah. What could that possibly mean? So we start with the process, we start from the beginning. We start from Beretius. And uh, God is describing the four tributaries that that extend, that emanate out of the main river that leaves Gan Eden, that leaves Gan Eden. He says, Describe one of these lands. It says, The land, uh, the gold of that land is very good. There's the Bedolach, can which can mean, uh, which can mean uh, well, I guess it can mean either mirror or it can mean uh, crystal based on uh, which translation you use over here, but the crystal they have an and it had precious stones so Horatius Rabbah says on this pasuk, Zehav Tov, Sham Ve'ven ashoam. so Genesis Rabbah says, Ein Torah, Ke Torah, seretz Yisrael, there is no Torah, like the Torah of the land of Israel, Ein there is no wisdom, like the wisdom of the land of Israel, so what exactly is this Torah, seretz- so the, the, the Zionist answer, the religious Zionist answer, could probably be summed up, I saw, uh, there's a small book, I highly recommend, that comes from a person, who is madly in love, with the land of Israel. Rav Menachem Froman, who is the Rav of Tekoa, passed away, I think, three years ago also now. So Rav Froman writes, and he says that the main distinction, at least in religious Zionist ethos, the main distinction between the Torah, uh, exilic Torah, and a Torah of the land of Israel is that an exilic Torah is a Torah that's concerned with the prat, a Torah that's concerned with the individual. And that's why, for example, one of the principles of the Torah of Galus is that paramount is pikuach nefesh. Paramount is saving an individual life. Whereas when we come to the land of Israel, when we come to the land of Israel, the Torah obtains a national character. The Torah obtains the character. It's a Torah saklal. It's a Torah that affects the masses. For example, you need an army. So if pikuach nefesh is a paramount a uh, principle in the Torah that all other are violated for all the Torah except for three mitzvot is abrogated for. So how could you send off soldiers to go ahead and to conquer and defend the land of Israel? How could you go ahead and deal with questions like policing uh, a country, policing a state? So the difference between a Torah, prat, an individual Torah, and a Torah a Torah, a Torah, a Torah that speaks to the masses and a Torah that speaks to a group of people might be, I would say, one of the main ways in which religious Zionist discourse understands this concept of Torah said so. Hi. Um, Robert Robinson once spoke on this topic of uh, the language used in the exile throughout the Mediterranean versus the language um, and study that was going on inside Israel. And he said in his Drasha, uh, I remember it distinctly, based on his study with his uh, professors at Cambridge, hmm. um, all the Jews of the Mediterranean didn't speak Hebrew and didn't deal with the Torah in terms of Hebrew. They always dealt with it in terms of translation, even if they were translating using Hebrew. But the, the Torah study that occurred within Israel was always within Hebrew and for Hebrew and about Hebrew. In proximity to the thing in it itself. A whole different experience of language. So the assimilated, the exi- exilic Jews that d- disappeared into the Mediterranean. Yeah. And the Jews that were- it's, uh, Rabbi Robinson was- refer- I remember the same drasha. Uh, Rabbi Robinson was referencing a really monumental study, just as a side point. People right. want to see- Arya Edry is one of the professors uh, that wrote this, talked about what happened to the Jews of the Eastern Roman Empire, uh, Eastern Byzantine, Byzantine Empire, and says that they, they totally assimilated and uh, they were lost. They didn't uh, create any Torah. And one of the main things is that they, uh, did, not, uh, they did not learn Hebrew. Uh, it's a, f- a fascinating study and I remember Rabbi Robinson mentioned that, you're right, so, so it's the proximity to the thing in and of itself, whereas Tanakh, uh, for, for one who is not a Hebrew speaker, Tanach is, uh, you're at one remove because you have to first understand even tefillah, for example, speaking the language of the land of Israel. It's a whole other shiur, right? We have Eretz HaKodesh, we have Am Kodesh, the holy nation, the holy land. We also have lashon HaKodesh, the holy tongue as well. Uh, be that as it may, there is the right. There are many distinctions to be drawn between Eretz, Torah Eretz, and the Chachma of Eretz, and the Torah and the Chachma of, uh, of Gallus. So let's, um, let's, uh, let's continue. And let's see one, uh, one traditional way of interpreting this comes in source number eight from the Marsha, Adels. Edels. Uh, I always like to say the Marsha is uh, one, of the, uh, one of the classic commentaries. It's dual commentary. There's chidushe halachot and chidushe gadot The chidushe gadot the, uh, the commentary on the stories and the non-halachic sections, non-legal sections, uh, I should say, of the Gemara is rendered in Rashi script, whereas the halachic se- uh, sections, the halachic commentary. Uh, just to give you the importance, somebody asked the Chazen Ish once, uh, how to learn Torah bi'in, how to learn Gemara bi'in. I think it's in uh, Igra Chazen Ish in volume one it's like the second or third uh, letter there. So the Chaznish says, well, you learn Gemara, Rashi, Tosvos, Marsha. That's how you learn uh, That's how you learn Gemara B'in, right? If you don't understand Marsha, you can't understand Tosvos. That's what you have to go ahead and do in order to understand the Gemara. So the Marsha, by the way, Marsha was a great uh, halachist in Rashi Shiva. Uh, his name is Roshnul Adels. Uh, that wasn't his original last name. He took the name Adels because it was the name of his mother-in-law. Edel, who supported and uh, helped him found his yeshiva, as a token of his gratitude to his mother-in-law, he named it, he, he took on the name Rishmuel Edels, as if Rishmuel of Edels. Just a pretty cool. Did you know? You can put that in your back pocket. Okay. Source source number eight. Source number eight. Haolam hu The world is like an apple. You can imagine. Olam. And the place of the Beis Hamikdash is the center of that world. It's the core, right? Like we mentioned in last week's Shi'or, we talk about the Evan Hashesia that sits at the center of uh, Eretz Yisrael, in the center of the Beis Hamikdash, in the center of the Beis ha-mikdash, in the center of the Kodesh Hakodashim, and that's the stones Shemimenu Hushta Sa'olam that the whole world was created, expanded from that place. So we say, Eretz Yisrael is the center of world. Everybody's for sure seen that map, ancient map, medieval map, where it has the whole world. It sort of looks like a Venn diagram, but everything intersects. All points intersect at Jerusalem. Eretz Yisrael, Because it is the centermost place, because it is the core of the world, Aviro Mazukumachim. So, connecting this and the last topic we were talking about, the, the air of that land is the most uh, balanced. The pH is bad. The spiritual pH is balanced. Uh, and it's attuned with the uh, atmospheric pH, that everything is balanced and healthy and good there. And if that's true about the land of Israel, even more so in the place of the temple. So, I quoted this marshad to point to an interesting thing is that if you look at the way our Israel is structured, so you might say, hey, you know, let's have our place, Makom of Hora'a, the place where we teach Torah, let's have that place that will be separate and distinct from the Makom ha'avoda, the, the, the center of cultic worship, the center of sacrifice. Except that that's not the case. In Judaism, the Lishkas HaGazis, the chamber of hewn stone, which is where the Sanhedrin, the, great, the greatest court in the land, sat, so that was actually right next to, that was, that was adjacent to the Makom HaMikdash, it was adjacent, it was on Harabayit. And this is going to be a possibility that we'll see at the end, that all Horah, this is the place of teaching Torah to the world and to the Jewish people. It comes out not just from a, a separation of, of law, and ritual, but law and ritual are, are, are intertwined. And the Makom Lishkas is the place of the greatest Chachma, the place of the greatest Torah wisdom, is at that center of the greatest place in the world, is at the center of Eretz Yisrael, is at the center of uh, the Beis HaMikdash. That's the Makom Lishkas So it's not for naught that they were placed in that exact same, uh, that exact same point, uh, geographic point. Now, uh, I, I'll just say parenthetically, think about this for a moment. Uh, people people get themselves all tangled up and I remember myself being sort of shocked, you know, like when you see comparative legal studies from the ancient Near East and you'll see, oh, look, you know, Mishpatin, Parshas Mishpatin looks like the Code of Hammurabi, right? We have concepts like ayin lex talionis, right? We find, we find all these, uh, the affinity between these concepts and we say maybe the Torah is not original, maybe the Torah is chalila, you know, patterning itself after ancient Near Eastern codes that are uh, as mundane as can be now, we can thank uh, the new school of Orthodox Bible scholars for showing us that actually contained in those subtle differences are, 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 are revolutions, in a sense. But something that I wanted to just point out is one of the genius uh, and one of the biggest differences of all, and maybe all the other questions sort of dissipate when you, you think about it like this, at least for me, uh, is that uh, the Code of Hammurabi is not, uh, it, maybe he would declaim to be di- uh, ruling by divine right, but it's not a, it's not a religious text. It is, a, it is law, and it's how we run a society. What's amazing about the Torah is that we explicitly contain uh, torts and the most, mundane, uh, the most mundane property laws, the most mundane uh, laws of damages is contained in an explicitly religious text. It's framed from an explicitly religious perspective. And this is also, I think, what the Marsha might be hinting at or alluding to, that by the placement, by the decision to place the makum hahora, the place on edge, and they would hear the most... Uh, one would imagine the kind of cases they would hear, Melech Shasarach, Shevet Shasarach, the kind of cases uh, an entire tribe that served Avodah Zarah or a king or a leader that served Avodah Zarah, the kind of cases that would be heard by a Sanhedrin, that was explicitly done in the place of most holiness. That was done adjacent to the place of sacrifices where the genius of including in our spiritual religious texts what might be otherwise uh, seen as purely, uh, purely mundane texts of torts and damages and property law, that's explicitly religious and maybe that's uh, maybe the biggest difference of all between other ancient Near Eastern codes and our Torah Hakidosha. So Gemara Moed Katan tells us a little bit more about Torah Eretz Yisrael and I think that Torahs Eretz Yisrael, if, if all Torah is understanding the word of God, Dvar Hashem, If the goal of all Torah is to say, well, what does God want from me at the end of the day? How do I act in this particular situation? How do I think and speak? What do I do in a particular situation? So the greatest way in which we find out how to act and what to do is through prophecy, right? Prophets told us directly from God what we're supposed to do. Oftentimes it was tshuva. But prophets were the direct conduit to the divine word telling us what we needed to do. And we know that prophecy only occurred in the land of Israel. The greatest connection, the greatest uh, the greatest retrieval of Hashem's will can only be found in the land of Israel. And the locus classicus for this comes from Gemara Moed Katan. The Gemara is telling us it starts off by telling us that Chacham Shmei Sakko Rov source number 9 that a Tam Chacham that passes away everybody is considered their relatives. Everybody mourns when a Tam Chacham passes away. And the Gemara continues to tell us about what transpired when Rav Huna passed away. Rav Huna was a second-generation Babylonian Amora. He was the head of the Surah Academy. He was a monumental figure in his own right. So the Gemara tells us that they start to eulogize Rav Huna. Source number nine. Patachalei Rav Abba. Rav Abba said, and this is a strange thing to say it is eulogy, but Rav Huna was fit, He was fit for the Divine Presence to have rested upon him. And it's taken here to mean prophecy. Right? The Rashi says, so Rashi says, Rav Huna was so great that he could have merited to have the Divine Presence rest against him. He had one thing working against him though. He lived in Bav he lived in Bavarashi, he says She'enash Khinashorub, and Chutzlaritz. The divine presence doesn't fully, one moment, the divine presence doesn't fully descend and rest upon us in Chutzlaritz. Hi. I always have this problem because So let's continue the Gemara. Okay. That's exactly the Gemara's question. Right? So the Gemara continues. The Gemara and Rabbi Freeman continue. Rav Nachman says, "V'amrei la Ravichan and Barchista." And some say it was Ravichan and they Quote from Yeheskel, "Perik Aleph, Pasuk Gimel, Hayoah Yadvar Hashem Yeheskel B'buz Ya'koin Kazdim. Take a look. We have an example of Yeheskel receiving nevuah in the land of Kazdim, outside the land of Israel during the exile. So, topach le'avuah So, back to Rabbi Abba, Rabbi Abba's. Rabbi Abba hit his son, right? sort of tapped him. He's like, this isn't the place, right? Ravchan and Barchista, or Rav Nachman whoever it was. So his father tapped him on his sandal. He's like, lava min alach, Right? Don't, don't say this now. This is not a time for questions and halachic uh, to talk about the finer point of the eulogy we're experiencing. Yeah. And he says, and he sort of gives him a quick answer, he says, my hayah. What does it mean when we have this double language, Hayo, hayo Shahayakfar? The only reason this one example of Yechaska receiving Nivua outside of the land of Israel so it's not even like an answer of the exception proves the rule. No, the only reason the exception happened was because it was only because Yeheskel had started his nevuah in the land of Israel. So this was merely a continuation of Yechezkel's prophecy about the self-same thing that he was experiencing now going into exile. That's how he answered him and that's how he answers your question. So you could say it's the exception proves the rule, but but the exact same question is asked directly on this, and we say that nevuah the shechina, which is taken to mean prophecy over here, although it might not be right, the shechina is only shoda, Right? Imagine that line at the Yil-Jirvun is so great because he lived in Bavel, because he lived in New York because he lived in Paris because he lived in Poland so he couldn't have full Ruach HaKodesh as great as he was so if, if we understand that the Dvar HaShem is, is most directly communicated in prophecy and that any connection and any encounter with Torah contains within it a kernel of tapping into prophecy of tapping into the divine word and Ratz HaShem and, and Ruach HaKodesh so then that also makes sense. That Torah, The Torah that is learned in the atmosphere, the Avira, the enlightening atmosphere of the land of Israel, so that Torah also contains within it the possibility, the chance of a direct, unmediated encounter with the divine through prophecy, that it contains the prophetic element is heightened, the prophetic element is sharper, prophetic element is possible only in the land of Israel. And this idea, don't take my word for it, this idea is... Um, is uh, is set out by the, the Gon of Vilna of Elijah Vilna says in his commentary on the Torah, Aderat Eliyahu. He writes, The Torah who Kemosha Vir the great revelation of Torah. Now you might ask, what about Sinai? So there's a lot of answers about that, that Sinai itself was Eretzel, or that the Torah was revealed there, and then Mimid Matan was meant to be taken into the land of Israel. But the Gras says, shall Torah be the Geloid, the revelation of the Torah, the full revelation of the Torah is only in the land of Israel. Kemosha Amru, as they said, avir der like we talked about earlier, the heir of the land of, of Israel enlightens. Vegam nevue in And the Grud explicitly connects the revelation of Torah to the revelation of prophecy. That the learning of Torah is also connected to prophecy. It is, it is a, a, an aspect of prophecy. And that can only happen in the land of Israel. barach Yona. That's why Yonah ran away. Yonah ran away in order to cease receiving prophecy because he didn't want to carry out his mission. Rabenu of and it's like we just said in the above Gemara, Rav Huna could have had the Shechina on him, but he didn't because he lived outside the land of Israel. as we said, and it's explicit pasuk. The Gra, of course, locates a pasuk. He says ain't Torah. Right, so he said that it's that the that the leaders and the, the rabbis, the leaders of Israel, when they're amongst the nations, it's almost as if there's no Torah, and even its prophets could not find Chazon Hashem, which is interesting because this is directly referring to Cheskel, right? Chazon Yeheskel. When they are in the land of Israel, Echad. When we're in the land of Israel, in the land, we could be one people. And the Gra says speedily in our days we should see this as well. The Gra didn't just say this. He sent his followers to make Aliyah as well. One of the great early Aliyot. That would be a series to talk about the, the great Aliyot, the Aliyah of Reb Mendel Vitebsk, the Aliyah of the followers of the Gra, the Aliyah of the Ramban, the Aliyah of, Rabi, of uh, the Hasidai Regensburg, right? All these great Aliyot that happened by people that had nothing to find the land of Israel. I just saw, I listened to, uh, Parenthetically, I was listening to a class talking about travel times, uh, the the amazing thing about uh, air travel and how it's made the world so much smaller. up until the beginning of the 19th century, the travel time from Europe to the land of Israel is something like a little bit less than half a month, at least two weeks, at least two weeks if you think about that, right? That's, uh, maybe, it, uh, maybe it could frame, I should say this to myself, it could frame our next delay on Elal or, or whatever, whatever airline people are taking now to the land of Israel. It could frame that a little bit differently. Two weeks, can you imagine such a thing and fraught with immense danger? Maybe we could talk about it a little bit more when we, uh, when we learn about Rabbi Nachman's journey to the land of Israel in the next series. But, uh, but we say when the Jews are in the land of Israel, so the Grah worked and encouraged his followers to make Aliyah as well. Kamosh-Shamr uh, Mata It says in the Zohar, when are the Jews one people b'zman shehein ba'aretz? And by the way, I don't think that the Grah is just depending this idea for naught. Torah was initially given to the entire Jewish people, not just individuals. Nivua was given to individuals for the entire Jewish people. And the entire Jewish people can only be one full nation when they're in their land. So all these three are inextricably linked. So the one place that we could be a nation, the one place that we could receive full Torah, the one place that we could receive prophecy, it's all in Eretz Yisrael, the special aspect of the Gila of Torah can only be, one moment, uh, can only be, we're just about to run out of time, can only be uh, dependent on all of Israel. There We actually find this in Halacha as well. There's many Halachot, like the recalculation of, of Shemitah and Yovel. For example, we talk about that it needs, that uh, one of the opinions, that needs Rov Yosheveh Aleha, needs majority of the Jewish people to dwell upon it. Something that I think, uh, have we already seen it? A majority of Jewish people living in the land of Israel nowadays? Not yet, not yet, almost. almost they predict any minute, maybe now. Yeah. No, who predicts what? Uh, oh no, that the Jewish, the entire, that the major, the majority of world Jewry will find themselves in the land of Israel. Massive achievement. Uh, let's finish off with Rav Cook. How could we not? Um, actually, let's finish off with our last, with the last thing. Instead of Cook, we'll finish off with the last thing. I don't want to hold everybody. Source number twelve. Isaiah tells us all this is told to us by a prophet. The halchuamim in a vision of a final eschaton. Halchuamim rabbim v'amru lechu source twelve. Lechu All the nations will say, "Let's go up to the house of Hashem." El Yakov Yaakov to the God of Jacob. V'yorenu mitarachav and they'll teach us from our from their ways. V'nelcha Khabar We'll go in the ways. Ki mitzi on Hashem Right, we find this also in in other. Uh, Prophetic statements. All of the world. Let's finish up all of what we've been saying. Uh, can might be encapsulated in the last final idea over here. Yitzchak Farhi was known as the Magid He was a Chazan in a Darshan. He was a Shliach de Rabbanan. He was sent to represent the Yeshivas of Israel Yisrael uh, to um, to Turkey. He was born in Sfat and moved to Yerushalayim He was one of the main rabbis in Jerusalem. The 19th century. He wrote many books. He wrote. An entire book called Tuv Yerushalayim that discussed the sanctity, the specialness of the land of Israel, Yerushalayim Befrat. And we've been talking about all this beautiful stuff about the land of Israel, so it's missing one piece. The piece is us, and that we're in a symbiotic relationship with the land of Israel. He writes the following words Einenu, source 13. Einenu ra'inu pile plos. Our eyes see, and he's talking about the land of Israel. He lived from 1779 to 1853. Land of Israel did not have the Mamila Mall, that did not have, uh, you know, Norman's 10-pound uh, steaks, that did not have, you know, the Oli eat Sushi Buffet at the David Citadel, which I know a, little, a thing or two about, right? It didn't, it, didn't have, it didn't have the beautiful institutions that we see nowadays, all these amazing kalim. It just had a Jewish community there that was largely impoverished. Our eyes see incredible things. Anybody that accepts for themselves a place in Yerushalayim or any other place in the Arts of Sachaim, the land where the Torah, we skipped, Ruf Cook says in Israel, the land doesn't just become Torah's Emes; It's always Torah's emets. The Torah is always true. But in the land of Israel becomes Torah's Chaim; It becomes alive. So he says, any place that we find in arts of Shachayim b'simcha to dwell in the land of Israel in joy, with a gladdened heart, willing to accept, come what may, ba'avaraba with a great love for the land of Israel, kidas ma'lasos, gam marlo panim simcha. The land itself almost opens up its arms and embraces you and shows you a glad face as well. And when you dwell in the land of Israel, when you have that small place, land of Israel, you feel as if you're dwelling in Gan Eden, that you're most safely ensconced in the palace of Hashem, palace of the King. Right, that even if somebody dwells in the lowest of places, even if I dwell in a hovel in the land of Israel and in Khutzlaritz I had the most stunning, you know, fifteen bedroom penthouse apartment overlooking the Hudson with views down and you could see, you know, all the beauty of New York City. Or even if I lived in uh, even if I lived somewhere quite beautiful. And I live now in a havel, with gardens and all things that are good from this world. That house, that 10,000 square foot apartment, is as if it's only dalit Amos. It's as if it's a tiny, narrow space. Right, that's These dalit Amos that you have in the land of Israel are greater than anything that you had in Chotz Vesas, Mspir, Sameh, Vitov, you rejoice and you find yourself exalting your position in the land of Israel. Sameh, you're happy. Tovlev, you find yourself in a place of equanimity. And menucha Sanefesh and comfort, V'nosin odav and all you could do is just praise Hashem. Azai Skulo Sa'arat mis mit mitukmim and the Mitukamimbo and the school is the special qualities that we've been speaking about in the land of Israel, so you find them, that they start, you start to eat the fruits of the land of Israel, they start to become part of you, v'tov ben im and a person, hopefully, will live out long life, al admas kodesh, al hopefully, we'll all be zochet to something like that quite soon, and hopefully, when we're still here, we could draw a little bit of that simchan tov lev, by our learning Torah, and our avodos Hashem, so keep your eyes,